Yesterday, uh, I had an opportunity to, to go and uh, do a vow renewal ceremony, for, uh, actually for a local company here, or, or a couple here. Their name is uh, Tommy and Danielle Walker. Some of you might know them, but they're part of the Project Rio uh, family. And so they, they invited me to come and to do their vow renewal, and I was so excited about it uh, and, and jumping in. Of course, I get there, and I'm not really sure like what they had planned. If you know this guy named Tommy, he's kind of like a uh, risk-taker, adventurer guy. In fact, just to give you a little taste of him, he wanted to ride in on a boat. That's what he wanted to do. And so uh, we, they were having their ceremony at Paradise Point. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's beautiful. It's like this resort and spa. And so, and so they've got their, their party ready to go. And I'm the pastor. And then last minute, they're like, hey, can you put on these sunglasses? We're going to play the Mission Impossible theme because that's what Tommy wants. I'm like, whatever Tommy wants, Tommy gets, right? So we're moving that direction. But I have to be honest with you, as I, as I cruised into Paradise Point, I had never heard about it. I had never been there in my life. As I cruised in, it's almost like you're, you're transferred into this place you had never been before. There's all these trees and like beautiful areas and, and people just hanging out on the beach. There's boats. There's all this kind of stuff. I had to kind of like, like rub my eyes and say, where am I? Right? I just kind of, where, how did we get here? And as I got there, I started to see that there were like some houses around there and I thought to myself, you know what? That's exactly how I felt, right? <laughs> exactly how I felt. But I thought to myself, I'm happy with where I'm at. But I tell you, I got to tell you, I don't really love where I live. I actually love where they get to live. Has anybody ever had that feeling before? You ever had that experience where it's like, oh yeah, someone said amen, right? But I was like, man, I don't, it's like I love where they live. And a lot of us have had that experience before. Have you, have you ever went and visited like another city, right? Another city. And it's like anytime you go and you, you visit like another city, sometimes you have this temptation to kind of romanticize that city. You're like, there's no crime and there's no poverty, right? And everybody's happy and everybody votes the same way that I vote. It's just so wonderful, right? But, but we've all experienced that and we think, oh, I would love where, to live where they live. And of course, homes, right? We see other people's homes and, and neighborhoods. And some of you I know, we're talking about favorite shows. You watch the shows where they've got those beachfront houses and you think, oh, Lord, would you be good to me, right? Get me there. But it's not, just, it's not just our houses and it's not just our physical locations. It also comes into other areas as well, doesn't it? We, we, we start to think about now, if you're here with somebody, don't make a move. But we, we, think, we think about relationships. Oh, wow. Well, their husband works and they get to stay home. Or, the, or, that, or she works and makes a ton of money and dad gets to stay home and be daddy daycare. Oh, I noticed that that person is always emotionally available for them. Oh, I noticed that their family, they always have the best family functions. Oh, I noticed every time I go over there, there's nice little goodie bags for you when you get over there. And before you know, it. You don't love where you live. You love where they live, right? And of course, it hits other areas. It hits our, like when we go to our jobs, places that we work, hits all these different areas where before we know it, we don't love where we live. We love where they live. And if that wasn't enough, throw social media into the picture and you don't even have to go anywhere to know that you don't love where you live, but rather you love where everybody else seems to live. And the temptation is, is that as, as we allow our minds to go there, we can tend to romanticize these, these places and we've, we miss out on maybe what God has for us where we're at. And so here's my question for us this morning. 
is, is what would it look like to love where we live no matter where we are in life? What would that look like for us to love where we live no matter where we are in life? For us to stop looking for the boat to come in, we stop looking for the rescue, but rather to love where we live no matter where we are in life. So that's where we're going this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be moving uh, to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, and I'm going to give some context before we open that up. And as always, if you don't have a copy of the scripture, uh, you, have an, you have a note sheet near your seat and it has the scripture on there. You can grab that to look at it. But Jeremiah chapter 29 now, this is going to be very interesting for some of us that might be familiar with Jeremiah 29 because it's one of the more famous passages in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11, which we're going to get to. But I think a lot of us, we don't read the part leading up to the Jeremiah 29, 11. But let me give you a little bit of context before we jump into the passage. So as with, as with all things in life, uh, Israel went through different rhythms and seasons in their life. How, do you, how many of you know that there are different rhythms and seasons to life? Say yes. Right? There are these different rhythm seasons. Israel, Israel's experience was no different. They experienced that. In fact, they, they went through a season where things were not that good. The Bible tells us that they found themselves uh, in Egypt and, and, and under oppression and working for, you know, working for somebody else that they didn't want to work for. But before they knew it, their lot changed in life and God gave them the promised land. Say promised land. Right, they gave him the promised land, and, and I mean, God's marketing must be incredible because how how impressive does promised land sound to you? Right, it's like oh man, that just sounds amazing. Gives them the promised land, and and then and then they give them this king named David and Solomon, and Scripture tells us that they enjoyed peace and they enjoyed prosperity, and everything was as it should be. Say amen. Right, they were loving life. They were loving where they lived. I guarantee you that one. But before we know it. It changes again. The rhythm and the season changes again. And now they find themselves not only not loving where they live, but actually in a, in a place that was not great at all. So I just want to pause this morning. If you're here this morning and you're at a season in your life where you, it feels like it is not great and things are not going good, Mr. Wonderful is not that wonderful, Mrs. Wonderful is not that wonderful, your job that you thought was going to be amazing turns out to be not that amazing. If you're kind of at one of those spots in your life, you're in a good spot. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in a good spot this morning. Tell them, right? You're in a good spot. Some of the rest of you are saying, football's back. How could life not be good, right? But here we go. And I got one amen on that. So if you got, we're gonna look at Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse one. So if you've got it, would you say, I got it? Okay, we're gonna have it on the screen just for you as well. So it says this in verse one, it says, this is the text. Now pay attention to some of these things because sometimes we just skim over this stuff, but just know, remember, if you're a student of the Bible, the Bible is incredibly economical, meaning they don't put stuff in there that doesn't deserve to be in there. And I use this illustration, how many of you, sometimes, I know we have teachers, so I apologize, but how many of you that were in school and you were, you were supposed to write a, a 700 word essay and you found yourself saying, yeah, uh, well, I went to Chick-fil-A, and then the next thing I know, my mom said to go wash your clothes, right? And you start to fill in and stuff like that. I know, teachers, I'm so sorry. We would never, never do that to you, but some of us did. Uh, but the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is very, very precise in what they put in here, so everything has a purpose. And so it says, 
This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent, now this is key, from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. From Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem to Babylon. That is key as we move forward this morning. But have you ever been somewhere where you didn't want to be? Have you, ever, have you ever been somewhere that you didn't want to be? Now, I hope that you did not say, yeah, I'm here right now, right? Don't say that. But have you ever been somewhere where you didn't want to be? Maybe it was in a conversation, maybe it was in a relationship, maybe it was in a, a location, whatever that is. But have you ever been in a place where you didn't want to be? Israel was at a place where they did not want to be. The scripture tells us that they had been carried off from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is important because it was their promised land. It was like the epicenter. In fact, we learned a couple of weeks ago how they believed it was like the navel of the earth, that everything surrounded, everything revolved around them. And here they are. Not only are they not there, they're in a place where they do not want to be. Now, this is important for us for a second. Israel, the significance of land at that time was super important. God had given them that promised land as we talked about, and it was a perfect place to live, designed by God just for them. And they had to go through a lot to get it. Have you ever had to go through a lot to get to where you're at today, right? Have you ever had to go through a lot? I've shared this story. Uh, My wife, when I met my wife, I had to go through a lot to get to my wife. I just have to let you know that, right? When we we met, she was... She was not impressed with me at all, right? And she had her own goals. She was, she was finishing up nursing school, had to take that NCLEX test. And then on top of that, this is a little picture of my wife. She was training for the San Diego Half Marathon. And so let me just tell you, she had about this much room for me, right, when I came into the picture. But I was not gonna be deterred. I got the number, didn't wait the three days, waited about 30 minutes, sent that text message, Great to meet you, right? And then, and then off, off we go, off we go, right? But have, but have you ever had to go through a lot to get to where you're at? You, you need to feel this tension because Israel had to struggle. They had to do a lot to finally get this promised land, to finally live to where God was calling them to live. And then here they find themselves, that being ripped away from them. You need to feel that tension of the people of Israel when they write this because they were not where they wanted to be. And this all changed, all the land, all the thing that was given to them, it all changed. And Babylon, so Nebuchadnezzar was from this kingdom called Babylon. Say Babylon. It's from Babylon. Babylon was as bad as it gets. Not only was it not close to their own culture and, and religious ideas, it was very, very different. So it was as bad as it gets. Now this is important too for us this morning. In their culture, at their time, gods, there were a lot of gods. Gods were associated with the land. Gods were associated with the domain. So it'd be like this. If, you've, if, you've ever, if you ever went to like uh, Nevada, no, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm sure there's some people that have been to Nevada because there's a place called Las Vegas in Nevada, right? But as you would enter into that, Nevada would have its own God. It would have its, it would have its own domain. Maybe another way to look at this is that uh, football season has just started. We already got some amens on that, right? And even the stadiums, as visiting teams, one of the things that I love about football is just learning about the visiting teams and the, and the different traditions that are involved in it. There are fight songs and all the kind of stuff. But when a visiting team goes to another uh, stadium, they are entering into another domain. 
In fact, and some of you already know some of those names. Are there any Raiders fans in the room? Oh, wow, right? The silent majority, right? Right? Raiders fans, like what, what are you, what are, what's the fan base known for? Oh, okay, okay, right? I'm not even going to repeat that, right? But what, what are the, what are the, what, what's your fan base known for? You, have a, you actually have a name. Raider Nation, right? Right? And then there's this other thing called the Black Hole, right? So when you're a visiting team going to, to play the Raiders, they have this whole thing that's called the Black Hole or, or Raider Nation. Anybody, any Seahawks fans here? Any Seahawks fans? Didn't think so, right? <laughs> right? But what, what are Seahawks, what, what's the fan base known in Seattle, football fans? The 12th man, the 12th man. And then our, our beloved Chargers. Oh, rest in peace, right? Chargers. But, but what were the Chargers known for, their fan base? The Bolts. The Bolts, right? Right, the Bolts. And so when you would enter into it, so that concept, when a visiting team would go and, and, and play another team, they would enter into a different domain. They would enter into that team's, you know, thing. The same thing was true at this time when, a, when a, a visiting team, when a nation would get exiled and sent into a different nation, that place had their own gods, And so you feel the tension that Israel has. They were once at home in their own land that their God had given them, and they believed that their God was the only God, the God that reigned supreme. But just in a short amount of time, they messed it up, and not only did they find themselves uh, not having God's grace and God's favor, but they were carried off into this foreign place, this foreign land, this foreign domain. Have you ever been in a place where you did not want to be? This is where Israel was at. They were at a place where they did not want to be. And I'm sure that you can relate with it because I'm sure there are some people here, as you sit here and you think, and you think about some of the stuff that we're talking about, you're thinking about, yeah, that job was not my first choice. I'm sitting here and, and you know what, I didn't, I didn't really plan to get pregnant. I just find, I found myself in this space as well. And maybe you're here and you feel that tension and you know what it's like for Israel to be in a place where it wasn't something that they had planned on being. Here's the point this morning. Here's, here's kind of the big takeaway for me. Is that we are to love where we live, not where we wished we lived. You see, the, the, the call of God is we're going to look at the scripture in a second. We're going to unpack this statement. But what God calls us to do is he calls us to love where we live, not where we wished we lived. Because A, it's, it's futile, but there's, there's more than that as we're going to see. But love where we live. This is something that God calls us to and call, he was going to call Israel to. And that's what we're going to look at right now. So if you're in that place, be encouraged by what we're about to read. So in verses 4 to 7a, this was God's word to Israel. You think God would say, hey, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to come and get you out of that place. I know, I know, I know. It's rough, all that kind of stuff. But I'm on my way to get you. That's not what God says. Look what he says here in verse four. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what you produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So there's this generational thing that's happening. So they can have sons and daughters. It says, increase in number. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And then he says, pray to the Lord for it. This was God's word to God's people. God's people that were living in a land, living in a place that they did not want to be. 
This was not their first choice. This was not of their choosing. And rather than God saying, hey, just rough it out. In fact, I'm not going to read the passage, but you can read it as you get home. Jeremiah has a word for those prophets and teachers and pastors that were giving this word to the people like, oh, just just hang in there. It's going to be over in a short amount of time. Jeremiah actually says, no, 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 listen, this is the word of the Lord. It's going to be a long time before you get out of there. So rather than God saying, I'm going to get you out of there, he says, build houses. He says, plant gardens. He says, marry. He says, get real comfortable with where you're at. He says, love where you live, not where you wished that you lived. Now let's break that down for a second. The first part, he says, is to build houses and settle down. Build houses and settle down. Has anybody ever built anything before? What have you built? Tell me what you've built. Everybody's always brave, and then you're like, oh, I was just joking about that one, right? right? But, but what have you built? Tell me, just, come on. Car, right? We've put together cars before, yes? Yep, built the car. What else? Houses, okay, what else? Families, was it fences? Fences, built fences. What else? Furniture, right? I was, I was about to say, is there, are there any, any of my fellow IKEA furniture employees here, right? Right? A lot of us, right? A lot of us. When you build something, now this is something that's lost on us in our culture because for a lot of us, if it takes more than an hour, we just call somebody else to come and build it, right? But, 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 so this gets lost on us, but for those that have built things, uh, what is involved in that process? Painting. Motor. A lot of patience, a lot of, the whole idea is that it takes a lot of your time. And he's doing the universal money sign, right? Takes a lot of, it takes a lot of our time. It takes a lot of our effort. Think about what God is saying to them. He's not telling them, hey, go and rent apartments. He's not telling them, hey, it's just going to be a temporary thing. Just go up, go to KOA and set up a camper. He says, build houses, And that means it was going to take time. Then he says, settle where you're at. Build and settle. His word is that it's going to take time. It's going to take effort to build and to settle with where I have called you. Now, this isn't in the text, but this is interesting for me, and I hope that it's interesting for you. One of the things that a conquering nation would do, like the Babylonians, is that they would take these these random exile groups, put them together, and they would put them in places where they would want them to rebuild that land and settle that land that had been war-torn. And so they would put them in specific places because they wanted them to rebuild that. What God is actually saying, he's going along with it. He's saying, yes, this is my will. Where you're at, I want you to build and I want you to settle there. Now, I don't know about you, but trans, being transient is, is something like, so I'm, I'm on the tip end of the millennial generation, and, and that is something that we have bought into. Being transient, uh, tiny home movement, hello, right? It's like, I want to be able to pick up, and I want to move whenever, wherever and whenever I want to. But it's interesting what God is saying. He's saying, if you want to love where you live, which is what I'm calling you to do, because I'm calling you to build and to settle that land where you're at. He goes on. It says in verse, the second part of it, it says plant and produce, plant and produce. Gardens. Now I know some of us have some gardens, some of us have a couple of succulents on our patio and we think that is gardening, right? But, but he's saying plant, produce. Again, this is the, the idea, the concept, concept is that it's going to take time. 
You, you, can't, you can't speed up the growth. Even, even though you can go to Home Depot, you can get that miracle grow and you know, get your corn to be 10 feet tall. It's like, that's not, that's not good in the long run. Let me just tell you that right, right now. Right? But he's saying plant and produce. And isn't it interesting, like the, the time and the world that we live in, there's, more, there's this movement more towards like being sustainable and sustainability. Plant and produce. Take care of where you're at. To me, what this is saying and what God is saying is grow where God has planted you. Grow where God has planted you. You see, I think a lot of us have an eye on some future place and future location where, you know what, I'll grow once God gets me there. If you're single here this morning, you think, you know what, I'll grow once God gives me a spouse. If you're looking for a job, you're thinking, I'll grow once I get to that place. You're thinking, you know what, I'll have a great work ethic once God gets me the thing that I'm looking for. You know that there's a principle that's in play here. And God says, grow where you're at. The things that God has given you, grow with those things. When I was uh, uh, 18, I went off to college. I grew up in the great state of Ohio. <laughs> Nobody said anything to that, right? I know there's one, there's one, uh, one person here from Ohio, but I grew up in Ohio and I, I went away to school and, and, and going away to school for me was going to Florida. I went to uh, school in central Florida and uh, while I was there, it was, a, it was a Christian school and now my motivation to go to, the, to Christian school was one, I wanted to change my environment. I didn't feel great about my high school environment and so I wanted to change that and get into a place where I could kind of grow, flourish, become the person that I wanted to become. Uh, and I also wanted to play, play basketball, but I think God laughed at that plan. I don't know what happened to that one, right? But that's what got me there. But once I got to this private school, um, I realized pretty quickly that I was missing out on a lot of the things that happened at public schools. One of those things was that our school had no football in it. Oh, I know. Not a big deal to you. That was a big deal to a 19-year-old, right? And I had four friends that from high school. They all went to the University of Tennessee and uh, had a great time. And, you know, this was like early, early Facebook. So we didn't, you know, you didn't see that stuff. It was just through conversation that we would see those things. And I have to tell you, I would go and visit them because it was, it was right on 75. You know, you would run right through Knoxville, which is where Tennessee is. Every time I would, I would go there and I would leave there, I would leave in a funk. And I would say, God, this is not where I want to be. I want to be at Tennessee. Said nobody else, right? But this is where I wanted to be. But then as I was at Southeastern, which is the college that I went to, I realized this principle. I realized what God was saying was, hey, Southeastern, and by the way, any place that you're at in life will be what you make it to be. It'll be what you make it to be. I have a little axiom. You can be in, you can be in Paradise Point. You can be in the best place in the world. But if you don't have good people around you, it's awful. Or you can be in the worst place in the world and have great people around you and it is the best time in your life. Life will be what you make it to be. When God says that, that to plant and to, and to grow gardens and to, and to eat what it produces, I feel like this is kind of what God is saying is that it will be what you make it to be. So he says, I don't, and it's not in there, he didn't have to say it, so he would say, grow great gardens, grow great big gardens, Right? And, and so not only will it impact you, it'll impact others. But he says, grow where I've planted you. Because life will be what you make it. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's the next thing coming? Right? The third one. Now think about our context for a second. I know we can get carried away and stuff. 
Think about our context for a second. We're talking about a series called Love Where You Live, right? Love Where You Live. And, and, the, and we have this story from Scripture where Israel is transplanted to a place where, yes, it wasn't what they chose. In fact, I'm sure if we sat down and we had a conversation, there's probably areas in all of our lives where there are things where I did not choose that. It's just, it's just where I'm at. And so it's very relatable. So here's Israel. They're in a place where they did not want to be. And God's word to them isn't, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to get you out of there, which is appropriate at times. Rather, his word to them is, build houses, settle. Plant gardens, produce. And now look at the third one that he says. He says, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. And this is very, very interesting because the prophet does not tell the people to only marry their own people. That was a big deal in the Bible. I know today it's not that big of a deal, but that was a big deal in their time was for them to not intermarry, but rather to marry only the sons and the daughters of Israel. But God says, give, them, give your sons and give your daughters away. How many of you here, you've got a son or daughter, you're ready to give away? Oh, okay, we got, got a hand, right? right? A little, little different, a little different. But he says, Mary, have sons. Now, those that have, those that have I shared a little bit of our story, you know, those, those that have uh, went down that road, and, you know, and you've married and, and you've had children, that is not a quick process. Say yes. And some of you are like, it was a quick process. That's why I'm in church today, pastor, right? right? But that usually is not a fast process. That's usually something that, that takes time. It takes time to meet somebody and send a text 30 minutes later, right? It takes a little bit of time. It takes time to develop these things. I have to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, the world that I lived in, you're, you know, you're so used to everything being fast. I mean, we live in Amazon Prime territory, right? It's like, if it can't get to me in two days, then I don't want it anymore, right? And then we, and then my wife got pregnant, and I'm like, I'm so excited about it. Gonna be a dad. Got a t-shirt that said, hashtag new dad. And it took nine months for that baby to come, right? And you probably had the same experience, because it takes time. These things take time. What God is saying is, is that when he says give them, he's not saying just give them away. He's saying, per, he's saying pursue. He's saying cultivate relational community. Because you're going to be there for a while. And I'm calling you to love where you live. I'm calling you to love where I have planted you. And part of loving where you live is cultivating relational community. We also live in a time and a place where making friends Although it's really simple to do it on Facebook, it's very difficult to do it in real life. Say amen, right? Especially so for us, like I, I moved, to, you know, set roots in Ohio, moved to Florida, moved out here for school. I mean, just all over the place. And it just, it takes time to set down those roots and it takes time to meet people and develop those relational things. But you will not love where you live unless you cultivate relational community in your life. I realize it's awkward to go get coffee with people. I realize it's awkward to have conversations. I mean, God forbid they are a, Ra a Raiders fan, right? You know what I'm saying? But that's like part of the process. That's like part of the deal, developing those things. And so that's kind of the positive part, I think, that God calls us to is to cultivate that thing. But you need to hear this other part too. Those of us that are somewhat in my generation, and we, we highly value being transient. There's this thing called root shock. Turn to your neighbor and say root shock. Root shock. 
So some of you, some of you that have been around this church for, for a while, you know, like when we, when we started, my wife and I, we started two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, out in the front of the church were these the grass beds, and they were big, and they were beautiful, and I thought the best thing to do was to get them out of the way, right? And so one of the first things I did was move, it, move those things, and I, and I tried to move them over under the fence, and I thought I can just move those things wherever I want to move them, and they'll grow and flourish and be happy. All I got to do is give them a little bit of water, give them a, little, a lot of sunshine, and we're good to go. But you know what has happened to every single one of those plants? They've all died. They've all died. It's because of this thing called root shock. And I wonder in our own life, as we move around so much, as we become so transient, and it's not just a geographical thing. It could be a, it could be a relational thing. It could be a job thing. It could be whatever. If, we don't, if we're not experiencing the root shock in our own lives. But God says cultivate relational community Fourth thing he says is this. He says, work towards the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Interesting. God's word to them is to make their place better. Think about this. Using that football terminology, God says make their stadium better. Make their thing better. He doesn't say make our thing better. He says make their thing better. Work towards the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Now today, we, we have celebrated Teacher Appreciation Sunday, and one of our goals, one of our values is to do just that, is that we want to make uh, their thing better. We want to make our city better. And so that's why we take steps and we make effort towards that. But can I be honest with you, and this might get me into a little bit of trouble. One of the things over the last two years that I have been disappointed in in our church is our, is our lack of effort to reach out to the community outside of here. We, we have a, a group called Project Rio. None of them are attached to a church. None of them are faith-based. But yet they wanted to do something to bring renewal to their community. And we've, we've worked with them. We've tried to work with them, do different things. We've done sign-ups to go do work with them. And that has always been the, most, the least amount of sign-ups we've received. Can you hear something from your pastor? If what we do in here doesn't translate to out there, we are wasting our time. If what we're doing in here is not impacting the people that are not in here, then we are wasting our time. And I, I don't know if this was God's big mission and goal and vision to, to reach the lost of Babylon for Jesus. I don't know that. But what I do know is what God told them to do was to seek the peace and the prosperity of that city. Turn to your neighbor and say, can we move on? I'm uncomfortable, right? Can we move on? Fifth one is this, finally. God tells them to pray for that city. Now, it's one thing to get out there and sweat alongside some people. It's one thing to go get some coffee. But God says to pray for them. Pray for that city. Pray for them. Pray for Babylon. Pray for the people that are oppressing me. Pray for the people that don't vote the same way that I vote. Pray for them. God says yes. God does not say scream. God says, yes, pray for them. Pray for the city. Now, here's why. Look what 7b says. It says, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says, build houses, settle, marry, do these things, build, pray, seek, because if it prospers, you prosper. You need to hear something. What's good for the city is good for you. What's good for the neighborhood is good for you. What's good for your neighbors is good for you. Right? That's, that's not our motivation, 
But what God is saying is like, that's why he leads with that top part before he gets to the bottom part, which is if it prospers, you're gonna prosper too. And then I wanna give you this. I think it's two things. I think one, I think it's God's plan for growth. Like I said, what's good for the city is good for God's people. And I want you to hear this. Where God has you is where God wants you to grow. Think about that. Where God has you is where God wants you to grow. Now, I know we talked about this already. I'm not in the job. I'm not in the relationship. I'm not in the season of life that I want to be. But if you would just for a moment suspend that thought and think about this, where God has you is where God wants you to grow. Because God wants you to grow where God has planted you. Grow where God has planted you. And then the other, th- the other part is this. Is not only is it God's plan for growth, it's also God's plan in general. Now, we're not going to jump into this because I'm going to close. I'm going to invite Julius to, um, and the team to make their way up here. But there are two times in this passage where God says he was responsible for where they're at in life. Isn't that interesting? Oh, we don't like that part, right? We don't like that. But there are two times in verse 4 and verse 7 where God specifically says, where I carried you into exile. I was the one that put you where you're at. Now, I realize that's a big statement. Some of us are like, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. But just think about it for a moment. What if we are exactly where God wants us to be? Right? Maybe it wasn't what we designed up. Maybe when we were five years old with that whiteboard and we thought, this is where I'm going to be in my life. Oh, you didn't do that? But maybe we are exactly where God wants us to be. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that specifically over your life because I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but I just want to offer you this question. What if you are exactly where God wants you to be? And what if God wants you to grow exactly where you are at? I know in my own life, I'm always looking for that, that Calvary to ride in. I'm, I'm looking, well, it doesn't have to be a Calvary. It can be a Ford F-150, four by four, you know, whatever. But I'm always looking for that thing to come in and rescue me and to get me out of whatever the situation that I'm in. You know what I've learned about God? He's a little bit more patient than I am. Now, if God is, now, now if you are in a situation that is dangerous and abusive, you need to get out of that. We can talk later. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is that I think that we're always in such a hurry because we, we don't love where we live. We love where they live. We want to get out of here. God, you can't grow me here. You can't get me to where I need to be here. I got to get over there. I got to get to paradise. Point. But God says, what if I've got you exactly where I want you and I want you to grow where I've planted you? Now, what's a practical way, right? So that's, a, that's big, Pastor Mike. That was like a lot. You're telling me to go build a house, plant a garden, marry somebody, work for the city, pray, right? How do we synthesize? How do we, how do we break this down? I have one thing for us to do. On your seat, because here's the thing. It's hard to love where you live when you don't know who you live with and when you don't know who lives around you. There was a study done by State Farm that says 25% of Americans cannot name a neighbor, cannot name one person that they live next to. And so there's a little uh, little piece of card, looks like this. And here's the idea with the card. The card is for you to take home and 
There's not gonna be a test, but what I would love for you to do is put this in your car, put it on your refrigerator, put it somewhere where you're gonna see it and, and simply begin to fill in, the blank, fill in the blanks, fill in the boxes. Who, who lives across from you, to the side of you, the side of you, behind you, diagonally, right? Just right, right around you. Now, maybe you're, maybe you're in a season where it's like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm living with my parents, like I'm not home, that's not really relevant. Okay, where you work, where you work. What about the people that work around you? What's that person's name? What's that person's story? Right? Because it's, it's really hard to love where you live when you don't even know their name. And there was a book, I'll finish with this. There was a book called The Art of Neighboring where there was pastor guys, guys like me, we all got together and we thought, oh, we're gonna go talk to the city and we're gonna find out, city, what can we do to help you? How can we make our city better? We notice that there are statistics that are kind of crazy and we know that the world is getting kind of crazy. So how as we religious teachers, how as we pastors, how can we help you? This is what they said. There were two things in there that was interesting to me. The first one is this. They said the majority of the issues in our community, uh, our community's facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. All of these things that ail us, right? We always think it's somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's issue that they got to deal with, right? But what he's saying is if we could figure out how to be great neighbors, it would dramatically impact our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities. If we could just figure that out. And then this was the dagger for a lot of us that call ourselves Christians and Christ followers because they weren't done. They went on and they said this. From the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. That is sad. That there's not a lot of difference between the two groups and how they neighbor. And so we're gonna take a step to make that a little bit better. And one of the steps is simply, simply to, to learn a name. And if you know a name, then take it a step deeper. What's their story? Where are they from? What do they do? And if you know that part, take it a step, a cut deeper. Hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, I noticed that I haven't seen so-and-so around here that much. What's going, how's that been? Right? And begin to fill these in, fill these in, fill these in. And I think that will take us a step towards loving where we live, being the people that God has called us to be in the places that God has called us to be. But finally, let me end on this scripture. And then we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and then there's some hot dogs cooking outside. Is that Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse you see all over the place. You probably see it in Chick-fil-A bathrooms. You probably see it on people's Instagrams. You see it all over the place. And, and it says this. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But here's the thing. You can't pull that out of its context. You can't just pull that out and throw it in anywhere you want to throw it in. This is attached to what God had just talked to his people about, which is what he was calling them to do. I'm calling you to build houses. I'm calling you to plant gardens. I'm calling you to marry. I'm calling you to love where you live. And I believe as we love where we live, we begin to experience some of those promises that God has. Prosperity, hopes, future. Isn't that interesting?